0: Uh, I just want to say welcome again. And if you're watching online, uh, we, we invite you to like and to share this post at, here as well on our Facebook feed. Um, it's just a, a super easy way to like share and spread the gospel through social media and help people get a peek into uh, the collaboration between Tallgrass and The Well. And so we invite you to do that. Um, we uh, Today, uh, we invite you to, to worship God through giving. Giving is is uh, just as much a part of w- our worship as singing songs or, or listening to a message. And so if you're part of the Tallgrass community, you can go to tallgrass.church give. If you're a part of the well, you can go to the well, slash give, and you can set up uh, uh, electronic giving through that. We also have in-person uh, giving. If you, if you wanna drop a check or cash or you know your state or gold bullion or whatever that is, we've got two boxes in the back. So we've got the black box for Tallgrass. And we've got the joy box for the well in the back. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, and so a couple, couple quick announcements today. We have something exciting going on. Uh, so we're going to do a church picnic after this in Longs Park. So that's 17th and Yuma. And so you can find some details at, on Facebook, or you can just go to 17th and Yuma. All you need to do is, is stop and grab a lunch, whatever you would like to eat and or drink. Uh, if you've got a chair or blanket, that might be helpful. And then uh, water balloons, if you're so inclined, or squirt guns or whatever that is. And so bring that. We're just going to get together and, and have a good time eating lunch out at Long's Park today. And then next week, I'm super excited. So you should uh, see one of these on your chairs. You might be sitting on it, and that's okay. That's definitely yours. You need to take that home with you if, if that's the case. No one else wants that. Uh, and so next week, we're really excited because we're going to do a Father's Day brunch during our gathering here next week. And so that's not just for dads. That's for everyone. And so we're going to have flapjacks and sausage. And so come and get breakfast and, and be with us and, and drink coffee and have a good time. We're going to have a dad Panel of, of uh, people from the well and people from uh, Tallgrass as well. We're going to have a, a few dads up here, just answering questions and, and having a discussion, having a, a really relaxed and, and and great time about what it's like being a dad and helping kids uh, follow Jesus. And so, uh, ho- hopefully, you can make it next week. Uh, we invite you to take a couple of these, invite your friends, your cousins, your uncles, your even the crazy ones that need Jesus. Like, get them here because we think it's just going to be a great, great time. If if you don't know who the crazy uncle is in your family, guess what? You're him. So, you know, be here next week. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're really, really excited. Uh, today, we're going we're to gonna kind of close down this, this three-week Better Together uh, series that we've been talking about at Tallgrass at the Well. Ben and I have taken some turns uh, teaching and then having some discussion. Today, what I want to talk about is uh, this kind of like This tribal identity that can form in a church community, and and not just in church communities, but, but all kinds of different communities. So if you've heard the word tribe, it's become popular over the last few years. Seth Godin wrote a book called Tribes. He says this, a tribe is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. Human beings can't help it. We need to belong. One of the most powerful of our survival mechanisms is to be part of a tribe to contribute to and take from a group of like-minded people. A tribe might be everyone in a certain village or it might be a model car enthusiast in Sacramento or it might be the Democrats in Springfield. Corporations and other organizations have always created their own tribes around their offices or around their markets, tribes of employees or customers or parishioners. Every tribe though is a movement waiting to happen A group of people just waiting to be energized and transformed. A movement is thrilling. It's the work of many people, all connected, all seeking something better. So if you've been... If you've been at a big sporting event, if you've been to the Bill, right, and, and like K-State scored and, and you were there in the crowd and the crowd was enthusiastic, like that's what it feels like to be not just part of a, a sports team, a fan base, like that kind of tribe, but a, but a part of this movement that's cheering together in unison and and pulling for the team and, and all the all the ahs and all the oohs and, and highs and lows of that. That's that's kind of in a, a microcosm what uh, being a part of a tribe And in a movement, in a a little bit of a way, sort of feels like. And there's a good feeling to that. If you ever go to uh, Lawrence and cheer against the Jayhawks and for the Wildcats, and you see the little, you know, dotting of purple here and there, like, you still know, like, that's my people, Right? Or like you sit kind of a row behind someone else and you like make eye contact every once in a while. Like you found your tribe in the midst of every other thing that's threatening you and your tribe, and you're like, we're in this together and we're gonna win, we're gonna pull this out. That's what it feels like to be a part of a tribe. However, there's a dark side to being a part of a tribe. And it's condescending those who exist outside of the tribe. It's looking down on, maybe patronizing those people who are not in. They're not of us, but they are of them. Though it's it's not just Jayhawks versus Wildcats. It's not just Red Vines versus Twizzlers, or even the infamous Mommy Wars, right? Where it's like Baby Bajorn or Ergo Baby, or it's stay at home or work, ha- have a career, or it's not co-sleep or crit. You know. You dads are, have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, all the moms are like, oh, you had to bring that up today, right? Um, it's, it's seeing someone as the other. Guys have this too, Chevy versus Ford. You know what I'm talking about. There's tribalism all over this this, this, this country. Seeing someone as the other can have disastrous consequences for relationships. Uh, and, and so in a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, Greg Lukianoff, who is a a psychologist, identified three great untruths, one of which is seeing society as only made up of us and them. That's, it's it's always this battle, this ideological in versus out. And of course, us is always right. My group has the truth. It's we versus everyone else. And and like you said, that's that's a great untruth, that there's no middle ground or nuance or gray area, but here's what he says. The bottom line is that the human mind is prepared for tribalism. So tribes are good. Tribalism, right? Anytime we slap the ism onto something, that, that can turn it inward and selfish and, and kind of toxic. The, the human mind is prepared for tribalism. We just don't feel as much empathy for those as we see as the other. Tribalism is our evolutionary endowment for banding together to prepare for intergroup conflict. When the tribe switch is activated, we bind ourselves more tightly to the group. We embrace and defend the group's moral matrix. And we stop thinking for ourselves. We, we, we fall prey to this group think of what do, what do we think about a certain issue. And it's got to be different from what they think about it. Now, here's the thing. We see this all over Right now, but this has been something that the church has really wrestled with throughout time and history. in the early days of the church, they experienced this exact same thing: that who is the us and who is the them, and how should we treat them? How should we represent Jesus to them? How should we preach the gospel to them? And so in Acts chapter one, I want to look at a, a few verses in Acts one, you can open your Bibles or you can uh, w- uh, look up here on, on the projection. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Here's what Jesus, right before he ascends, so after his, his, resur- his, his crucifixion, resurrection, and uh, right before the ascension, he gives one last command, one last commission, one last pushing forth of the people who are gathered around in this young thing called the church. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, uh, through five, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise, uh, for the gift my prom- father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse eight says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How I like to think about this is Jesus says, Stay at home. In your neighborhood for the thing that's about to happen that's never happened before, and they stay put. They do as they were told. There is a fly that is just going to bug me. No, Dad, pun intended. It's just anyway. <laughs> pray for me. Um, that's next week. Oh yeah, favorite dad jokes are coming out, guys, next week. So polish those bad boys off. Anyway, so they stay put like they're told. That the the spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And then the thing is that they stay. Instead of going to uh, uh, Samaria, Judea, which are, are like the end of the block or in, end of the city boundaries to the ends of the earth, they stay put in Jerusalem because that's what they're used to. That's where home base is. That's where their support network is. That's where safety is. That's where they know their neighbors and they do potlucks and they have a great time because they're together and they're enjoying Jesus. And, and the first few book, uh, book of Acts is, is the early church celebrating together and eating together and neighboring well together and spreading the gospel and these there are these priests that are jewish that were reluctant to 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 believe in the message of the gospel get saved and they see a lot of fruit happen so they don't have a lot of incentive to do anything other than stay at home and yet what happens in the in the in the next few years in the in Chronicled in the book of Acts is that God keeps trying to expand the boundaries. They go here's home base, and God goes, "What about these people?" And then, "What about these people?" As we see the the, the Ethiopian unit gets saved, and in in uh, Acts six, Stephen is chosen. G- Stephen is probably a uh, Hellenist Jew. uh, chosen to be a deacon, is what a lot of uh, commentators believe, to serve the Hellenist widows, to make sure the non-Jewish widows are taken care of. So God is enlarging that circle, saying, what about these people? And then in Acts 10, Peter sees this vision of this tablecloth, or this cloth, or this sheet that comes down, and and the Spirit says to him in this vision, in this trance, go and eat all these unclean animals, and Peter's like, no, I can't, I'm, I'm I'm a Jew, I'm a good Jewish boy, I can't eat all the unclean things. And God says, no, but that's what you're calling the Gentiles, and nothing that I've made is now unclean. It's never been really about being unclean, and now everyone's invited into the church. And then it culminates in Acts 15 in the first council, the Jerusalem council, where they have to decide how Jewish do you have to be to follow Jesus? What practices and what rites and what liturgy do you have to put in place in your life in the day-to-day to follow Jesus, and so here in Acts fifteen, uh, verse five it says, "Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, so they're the, the really kind of traditional people. They they are they're the ones that that are in cl- uh, constant uh, clashing with Jesus. But some of them did turn to Jesus and they believed, and yet they're still trying to hold tradition." with grace and following Jesus, and then they're trying to impose it on other people. Our traditions are the best. Our way is of doing it is the best. And to follow Jesus, you need to do it the best way. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people who are being invited into the way of Jesus must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider that question. How Jewish does anyone around the world have to be? What traditions do they have to follow to follow Jesus? And then Acts 15, verse 12, the whole assembly, the whole that's, that's another word for, or the original word's ecclesia, church, the whole assembly there became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul who had been sent out earlier on missionary journeys and they'd seen great fruit come from Gentiles turning to Jesus and believing without the law telling about signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. And he says this. He says it's one thing. If you want to sum the great, the, the, the great idea that they're wrestling with and when they finally landed on in this Jerusalem council, and something I believe that we need to wrestle with for ourselves today is this one statement. In in verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it difficult for people who are turning their lives over to God. We shouldn't make it difficult. We shouldn't put up roadblocks. We shouldn't have them keep traditions that it was hard for us. To to keep in the first place, we need to actually tear the walls down because grace is free. Grace is for everyone. Grace invites everyone into the family, and we shouldn't make it hard. We shouldn't bust people at the door. Take your dirty shoes off before you come into my house. Who cares about the house? It's a person that wants to know Jesus. Come on in. I don't care how you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're about to do. You come in, and you find Jesus, and we'll be family together. You see, that's what the Jerusalem Council was all about. And that's what we have to wrestle with, this question. How do we make it difficult for people who are turning to God? How do we make it hard for people to follow Jesus? That's what we have to wrestle with. And so I have, just just knowing myself, this may not apply to anyone else here, but as I've just searched my heart and I've gone, okay, how do I make it difficult? I think there are three, three things that I came up with. Not a universal list. You might make your own. You might reprioritize. You might emphasize some different ones. But I think there's about three things that we can all usually agree with that when we look at our churches, when we look at our lives, these are ways that we may make it difficult for people who are trying to follow Jesus. Number one... And in no particular order, but sometimes, sometimes, just like every once in a while, we moralize our preferences. We like to put things in categories like good and bad. That's a tribal way of looking at things. We like to do the Lord's Supper this way. Well, we like to do it this way. Well, okay. Is one better? Is one worse? I don't know, but we like to categorize it that way. What should the pastor wear when he or she preaches? What, where should our church building be located? What times of, of worship should we call people to worship? Should we have online church, or is church only offline and in person? And we tend to shut down the conversation and kind of win. My way is the best way. This is the good way to follow God. And when you actually look at Scripture... I don't think you can make an argument for any of those things that I mentioned. All the things we love to divide over, and my goodness, we Protestants like to protest. We like to protest each other, don't we? We're kind of born for it, like we're born for the struggle of, all right, who's wrong? Who's wrong on the internet? Who's wrong in my church? Why are we drinking coffee out of solo cups? That just seems inappropriate for church service or ever take a communion out of solo like we just go on and on and on about things that we like to draw don't leave man i was just kidding so <laughs> we like to call things good and bad and isn't it always our stuff that's good right so that binary god just likes to blow that up he, he, Jesus just liked to like sit in that gray middle area and call everyone to it, where everyone had to sacrifice. Everyone had to surrender their preferences. It might be the best way, but, but maybe getting your way isn't always the best way for a relationship. Have you ever heard that? You can be right or you can have a relationship. I was told that in my mid to late 20s and I thought that was the dumbest thing. And then I had all these friendships blow up and I was like, okay, maybe... Maybe I don't have to be right all the time. I'm in Enneagram one, so I think this way. The the perfectionist, the reformer, we think in the good, bad binary, and my way is always good. Ask my wife. Like, I've had, she's lucky she's a therapist. Like, I just really needed an in-house therapist for that. So anyway, number two, clinging to tradition instead of leaning into what God's doing. Well, we've always done it this way. And we like to throw, this has always been the best way to do it. So we still we like to kind of combine one and two. But but the tradition and, and here's the deal, I, I think traditions are important. Families should have traditions. Families have traditions, whether or not you're intentional about it or not. I love at Christmas time going and taking my family and, and picking out a tree and decorating it, and then we go, we, at the same, about the same time, we're, we, we grab a gingerbread house kit, because I'm not baking that from scratch, I buy a kit from the big box store, and we put it together, and we demolish it. And it's wonderful, it's a great tradition. My kids, like, they will not let me forget, oh, you forgot the gingerbread house this year, Dad. It's like, okay, I gotta go to the bargain rack and get the gingerbread house and buy it and do it after January 1st. That's how important sugar is. But tradition is, I would like to think, in our families, is that it should be this, like, I'm missing something because this is what we've done. However, if you find yourself in a moment saying, we've never done it this way before, maybe God is up to something new. We can't say, as Wesleyans, here's how John Wesley did it, and that's the greatest way to do it for all time. It doesn't work like that. That's the tribalism of, this is the best, this is our way, everybody else is wrong. We actually need to ask, what is God doing next? What is God doing now that we can lean into? Because how many times in the scripture have you read, sing a new song to the Lord? Well, no, I'm good with the old songs. Like, no, but the psalmist says, let's sing a new song. Or, you know, in Isaiah, God is doing a new thing. No, I'm good with the old thing. Yeah, but you're not. Like, that's the th- you're, you're, you're problematic because of the old ways that you're clinging to doing things. Uh, and so, so the ways that we do things and the, the, the closed fist in this on, on things that are not gospel issues can really get us stuck and in a rut. And then thirdly, uh, we elevate our formation over the mission of Jesus. H- how many times have maybe, not you guys, but maybe someone else, right, ha- have you said, well, uh, we'd be okay inviting people to church, but you know, the thing is, I don't really know anyone here well enough yet. Like we really need to focus on who's here before who's not here. And I think that's, there's a good sentiment to that of, like, community is really important. And, and, and growing together and having this thick web of support and, and a place to one another, one another, that's super important. But when we say we're not ready to reach out because we're not really connected in the way we need to be here, you actually put yourself in conflict with Jesus who leaves the 99 to get the one. Right? Like Jesus is about those who aren't here. And we have to remember to advocate for who, who's not here yet because they're not here to do that for themselves. So, yes, we focus on, I, I actually like the mingle, as an introvert, I like the mingle questions. I like getting to know people that I'm not as familiar with, especially in the safety and boundaries of I know exactly what to talk about. I'm not good at small talk. You'll get to know that about me if you don't know me as well. But I love the questions, and I love that time of like, hey, I haven't met you yet. Red Vines versus Twizzlers, answer right or be shunned forever. I, no, I'm just kidding. That, that, we don't want to do that. We can't elevate our formation, what I need and what I want, over the mission of Jesus. Uh, I've heard it said. Christopher Wright, I believe, has said this several times in, in several books that he's written. It's not so much as the mission of God has a uh, uh, the church has a mission. It's that the mission of God has a church. So let me say that again. It's not as much as the church has a mission. It's that the mission of God has a church. See, so that's the priority all through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is that God has a mission to reunite with His family, with His people with human beings. And we've been called on this mission, and it's through mission that we're actually formed the most and best. It's actually when we look out and say, who is not here yet, then when God is actually working and forming our heart the most, right? So as we've mentioned, people can build their tribes on many things, interests, teams, activities, so on. And we could even build a tribe, a tight net, network of people to one another, one another. We could build a tribe, and it could accidentally turn into tribalism if it's not connected to the grace of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? People can build tribes around all sorts of things, and it's easy to do it in the church and call it the church when it's just maybe a social club instead, right? And so what we need and what the world needs is Jesus followers who don't don't as much cling to their traditions or their ways or their preferences or their desires, but they cling to the grace of God to fulfill the purpose for which we've been called together. That's the mission of God, to reach and love people and invite them into his family. So, according, let me let me give you the, the macrocosm of the context in which we find ourselves. According to the Arda, the Association of Religion Data Archives, the, the most they base this off the census, so they don't have updated 2020. They have, so this is 10 years old data. But in Geary County, out of 34,000 and some changed people in Geary County. 21,000 people are what, what the articles unclaim. They don't claim a faith community. 21,000 out of 34,000 are unchurched or dechurched people. Pot County, 14,000 out of 21,000. Riley County, 46,000 out of 71,000. You put that all together, that's over 81,000 people In a short drive, a short distance from where you're sitting and where your homes are at right now, 81,000 out of 127,000 people are disconnected from a faith community. This goes up. This is about two-thirds. This goes up drastically when you include other faiths, when you include other non-Christians, so Baha'i or Muslim or Jewish or any of those. These are people that self-identify and say, I don't go to church anywhere. That's 10-year-old data. I don't think it's gotten any better. You guys, if we focus just on bringing churches together to collab, that's huge, but it's not enough for the mission of Jesus and for our success on that. Now, I know that sounds like a big task. Like we, What can we even do about 81,000 people? I'll tell you what you can do practically. With your eye on the macrocosm, your your eye on the big issue facing us today is that 81,000 people don't know Jesus in our area. What you can do is look next to you at home, at work, at the salon, at the coffee shop. One of the phrases that you'll hear at the well that we would love to just gift to our tall grass friends and invite you into is this question, who is your one? I may not be able to personally do anything about the 81,000, but I can do something about the one. The one is not a project. The one is not a notch. The one is not a checkbox. The one is not, not someone who is ethereal and abstract. The one has a face and a story and a destiny in God. I was once someone's mom. Uh, one, I had, I had praying grandmas. Anybody else have praying grandmas? Anybody else have praying grandma? Keep it up. I, had, I have and had praying grandmas, and I was lost. And they prayed me in, and I had a friend. I had a one at the fraternity, and he prayed me in. I wasn't just a number. I wasn't just an 81,000. I was a one. I mattered. My story, my destiny mattered to someone enough. A one is someone who lives locally, So it's not your uncle's brother's cousin, which I guess would be your other uncle, but whatever. It's not that person that lives in Seattle. It's someone, they're they're important too, keep praying for them, but it's someone you run into regularly because they live local, they work local, they shop local, all the things locally. They don't know Jesus, they don't have a faith community, they're not plugged in anywhere. And then you actually enjoy spending time with them. You will rearrange your day when they call and say, hey, you wanna go golfing? Hey, you wanna grab coffee? Hey, I need help moving. You actually rearrange your life because you like and enjoy hanging out with them. Who is your one? Who's that person God has put into your life? And some of you have 20. I've talked to to a few people that kind of rolled their eyes like one. No, but the thing is, if every one of us had a one, we could drastically change things. Not just at our church, not just in our lives, but we could actually start to make a dent and a difference into the 81,000 that are disconnected. Who is your one? If you have 20, great. I'm asking you for one, though, to rise to the surface, to pray, and look for an opportunity to invite them into church family, to to come and follow Jesus. I think you're great people. I think these these two churches collaborating are great, and I don't want this to be the best-kept secret in Manhattan, Kansas. I want this to be a place where we welcome people in. Now, here's the deal. When you start to tear down the walls of tribalism, it gets messy because they don't look like us. They don't dress like us. They don't vote like us. They don't talk like us. They don't drive the same cars as we do. Is that okay? Can you live in the tension? Can you let your guard down and drop your walls and let your preferences go so that someone could be welcomed into the family of God? That's what you have to wrestle with. So with that, I'm gonna invite Ben on up. And we're going to chat. So what I would do, um, just as Ben's coming up, have that one, have someone, and maybe write them down in your phone or write them on a note card. Put them on your mirror. Write write it with white, you know, what's the erasable marker on your mirror so when you see them several, their names come up and you're praying for them and you're reminded. That's a next step I would love to invite you into. I don't want this to be a one-off, like, we just preach about that, and that was a good idea, and we got kind of convicted, and we live our life the same. These are actually people we love and care about, and we want them to know Jesus. So, with that, hey, Ben.
1: Hey, Josh. How you doing? Hey, friends. This might be the best-kept secret in Manhattan. I'm having a lot of fun. So <laughs> That's it. But we do dress similarly. Uh, someone was saying, uh, what is this, the flannel and denim show or something? Because <laughs> I kept trying to riff, and and, not, you know, and then we both wore these dark uh, shirts, but they're different.
0: That's it. That's cool. it. Similar, but different. Yeah. So how are you doing this morning? Hey, worship was great, by the way. Hey, I'm like, thank you. Not just because my wife sang, but it's like just overall, that was, yeah, woo,
1: this, good. this, I'm doing great. This morning, um, Sarah, his wife, Sarah was like, how are you doing? And I just started rattling off my gratitude journal as it pertains to this community and uh, just enjoying Uh, just this time together, and and not just Sunday mornings, just uh, our communities uh, mingling. So I'm I'm very grateful, and it's been so fun. Um, Everyone that I'm meeting that I don't know, it's like you kind of assume they're involved with the well, but there's already people that are coming around that are brand new to both communities, so it's a perfect time to engage people and invite them into this thing. So I'm enjoying that a ton. Yeah,
0: right on, right on. Well good, we we were talking earlier this week and, and uh just kind of talking through uh, the, the, the message that, that I was gonna share. And you had some thoughts. You had some thoughts about maybe the other side of what might make it hard for our ones, right? For those who are who are not invited or into the community of God, the family of God yet, what might make it hard on their end just to prepare us to like maybe maybe not solve all the problems and have all the right answers, but just anticipate here' are some objections here are here are some things just to like walk with people through yeah
1: yeah, so uh, as we think about the the walls that we put up to others to come and be a part of the church family i 've been thinking about what what are the hindrances, barriers to the entry of people from actually coming into the church and uh, and some of you have heard me share this story and you 're probably tired of it, but the, it really helped me when my wife, uh, for her 38th birthday, said, hey, for my birthday, I want you to go to the gym uh, for one month. And uh, it was actually a gym that was uh, just down the street. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Had you not heard that
0: one? Dude, that is a, I don't know how it ends, but that's a great setup, so.
1: Okay, so Maris is serving serving with the kids, and, um, but you know, that's how it went. She said, I want, for my birthday, I want you to go to this specific gym for a month. And it, some of you have heard me share this a ton. Some of you are uh, coach at that gym. Some of you are at that gym. It's awesome. But it used to be the thing where I'd walk by, and I'd look in and make eye contact, with these big guys with big beards back there, and I'm like, ooh, I kind of duck my head and go. <laughs> and eventually, I stepped foot in the gym uh, wearing street clothes. There was no way I was going to lift up anything that time, just kind of start feeling things out. And um, I was super intimidated and insecure, believe it or not. And I remember I met one um, gal there, um, said, hi, my name's Brooke, I'm a coach here. I said, okay, you're very strong, I'm very intimidated. (laughs) And it took me a while, it took me a full week and a half to come back and start my free week, and then even from there, it took me a few months until I was, I could really envision myself being a part of that community, growing, uh, trusting the process, all of that, and it just hit me. This must be what it's like for so many people as yeah. it pertains to the church or spiritual things. And yeah. so it helped me to really think with empathy that this environment, like to show up, to be honest, to, to show up in this space and like, hi, I'm here, I have questions, I don't know what I'm quite doing, or to show up to a small group, um, there's got to be so much um, intimidation or insecurity that so many people have, plus hurt from, from the back you know, background and past. And so I think I just want to, I want to encourage people that, that, that we relate to take that risk. And it is a risk to, to, to step into a new community. And I, I believe our church community can be that type of yeah. place, you know.
0: What would you say are, this is a great story, by the way. And I relate to that as, as well, kind of going into my gym for the first time and there's no signs, there's no, you know, like, I don't know where the locker rooms are. There's no attendance there to help. And, and yeah, I, I maybe had, had a similar, like, oh, this is what a, guest, a new guest feels like at church. Like, they have no idea what's happening. What, so, uh, two-part question. Um, so, what are some ways where we can help people maybe peek in? And, like, you said you, you – because it, it has to be more than just the church. We're talking about the church people not just the church building, although it helps to have a storefront, people walk by and look in, you have the doors propped open, they can see what's going in. But what other ways can we help people peek into who we are, what we're doing, and then what are maybe some practical ways you would say for people to go, hey, be available. Like you, you said, lean into that. How, how do we do that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, I think you know, nothing beats being able to, to bring your friend with you to yeah. something. So the specifics, my situation, I was all alone, and it was, you know, kind of, actually, it's funny saying it now, I was kind of terrifying. But then there's, I've noticed several others who've brought a friend and said, okay, let's do this together. Let's rearrange our schedule and and show up together. And that's actually one of the things I love about this collaboration is our our people aren't necessarily having to set up and tear down. We can actually have that time to invite a friend and bring them along with you. And like today, for example, whether you're, even if you're not here, we're going to head to Long's Park, Um, bring them to that space. Maybe that's a little less intimidating. Maybe it's an entry point. Maybe a Father's Day brunch when we're eating pancakes and, you know, eating sausage and telling jokes, you know. Uh, Maybe it's just uh, introducing some people to some from this community out, out and about at a coffee shop and just looking for those little Touch points to kind of build relational rapport over time. Yeah, I think. That's yeah. One thing that comes to mind. I, th-
0: I think that's great. I, I think um, you know, even even maybe before we muster the courage to say, "Hey, you should come to my church. You should come to this come to this event. Come to this gathering." Um, there's there's a lot of times this mental uh, like trepidation we have because we think like, "What if they ask me about like fill in the blank?" Ask me about you know, why does the church do this? Why does, what does the church believe about that? And there's sort of this distance that we create because it's like, we like these people. I just don't want to necessarily mess the friendship up by bringing Jesus into it. And even thinking that, isn't that a kind of, I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but isn't that a weird way of thinking? Like the most important thing about me, I'm not sure how to share that with a person I really care about because of all the things that you kind of mentioned, but how, how is it that we can maybe make bridge that gap and make it easier? Is, is there something we should prepare for? Like, should we have, should we read up on all the apologetics? Should we That's a good question. arrange for our pastor to be there at the coffee? Yeah. You know, like, how do we Probably do not. that?
1: Yeah, because my mind immediately goes to how polarized our whole country has yeah. been and, and and we have to be able to, Establish that it's, it's okay to not agree on everything, yeah. but we're looking for a common ground. Yeah. And we have so much more in common with each person we interact with than we have that is different. And, um, and so I, I think, yeah, I mean, but if, if people ask me clear questions, I usually try to dig into why are they asking that? Uh, yeah. the, the thing that comes to mind is, um, and I don't know if there's time to fully flesh this out, but I think people deal with a lot of different types of doubt. Yeah. Um, sometimes, so intellectual doubt. Sometimes people genuinely have a question like about apologetics or what's the Bible say about this? And that's their hangup and you answer the question and they're oh, that's satisfactory and I'm on my way. But more often than not, I think people have a, what I call emotional doubt. They have some baggage or some pain from the past, but they don't lead with that. They lead with their big question, their intellectual question. So sometimes if you can, it's, it's not really about that question. It's really about their story and the hurt and pain that they've experienced. And they really need someone to be present, yeah. just present with them for the long haul. Um, know that they, they can't scare you away. You're going to continue to be present. And uh, any relationship that's worthwhile, you're going to have to weather yeah. storms about... Do we agree on this or that or the other, including us? Yeah. You know. Yeah. He never wears socks. I always wear socks.
0: <laughs> for
1: example. No, I never wear socks.
0: Care. No. <laughs> They're right out. Well,
1: <laughs> oh, that's a whole
0: whole, <laughs> a whole thing. other thing. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah. No, I think yeah, I think you go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say
1: the third the third category of doubt, uh, just for what it's worth, is volitional doubt, where there's sometimes people all the answers are there. The, the relationships are there and they know the step they should take but they just don't want to do it yeah. there's a yeah. will and if you have a depth of relationship that's when you can start to press like yeah. hey yeah. you know you need to take a step here but yeah. what's it going to be yeah. and I think you might have had that in your story too yeah absolutely finally absolutely. was like bro you yeah. know intellectual emotional doubt it's not about that that's you good. know what the step is let's go
0: that's right? good that's really good and, and I think it, it could be really dangerous when you rush that step Right when you so you, there's like that relationship building, you know, many, over many conversations and hangout times and stuff. But yeah, at some point, God even like this is part of the formation on mission, right? When when we respond to the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit says, "Hey, press them a bit, invite them. Don't let them blow you off. You you have that the sense, but it only can. It's like you have to have. You, you can't drive a ten ton dr- truck over a five ton bridge. Like you have to have that trust built up. And that is usually around other, some of those other conversations too. But I would say even with that, one of the most powerful things that, that I have as a tool in my tool bag of pastoring is the phrase, I don't know. Yeah. Like we, we are supposed to, we're kind of seen as like you have to know stuff. And, you know, that's a good too, to know stuff about Jesus. But I, don't, don't undercut the power when someone is really in a moment of like, I'm really struggling with this. What does the church say? What does the Bible say? What does God say? And authentically, not just kind of like blowing them off because people can, can pick up on that, but just saying, I don't know. Or, hey, there's different ways to look at that. And, and we invite everyone to come and, and wrestle with that together. I, I find that most people don't want an answer. Most people, some people do, but most people want to know that they're invited into a conversation, that they don't have to like sign a statement of beliefs before they step into the church building. They can actually be on a journey, be accepted where they're at, and figure things out along the way in relationship. And so, yeah, I, I tell people more than I'm comfortable with, yeah, I'm just not really sure about that right now.
1: Or I'm in process, too. I'm in process, Maybe yeah. I have a strong, strong opinion, but it's um, yeah. I'm teachable still. Yeah. Those Good. categories of doubt apply to all of us, too. And I think we need yeah. to be honest with our friends. Like, I actually wrestle with that very question, and I'm in process yeah. there. Good. One last quick uh, yeah. tool, I think, uh, is to, to pray for people. I think you can get away with a lot via prayer. Uh, and yeah. even initiate, hardly anyone that I've initiated to pray with them, even in the moment, has said, no, please don't do that, right. you know. And, um, and then to follow up with people, like, how did that go? Yeah. You know, what, what was going on there? It's good.
0: So, yeah, Sure good, man. Well, uh, should we invite the worship team up? Do you, do you have any final thoughts as they're coming up?
1: I don't, especially because now I'm thinking <laughs> that I have to go over here oh, yeah, yeah. And, and play over. this thing. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, But we are going to sing a song, Springtime, which we introduced at Tallgrass. And it really gets at just the new growth that springtime yeah. brings coming out of a hard winter, which we as a church have experienced, yeah. and I've personally experienced. Yeah. And thank you to, to you guys for this, this collab, and we're really enjoying it. Excited yeah. to see where it goes.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. good to have you all. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.